Good evening. President Biden announces a deal he calls historic. Another day in court for Julian Assange. A rare judicial inquiry into the killing of Eric Garner continues and allowing and a close uh, a a vaccination deadline that is close to uh, coming to fruition. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, October 28th, 2021. And... Last week, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, said the United States was at a Sputnik moment because a new type of weapon called a hypersonic missile. That weapon, some have said, is just a myth being made up by the U.S. to justify uh, more defense spending. Others are saying that uh, China is coming close to its own Sputnik moment, the time uh, back in 1957, 64 years ago when the Soviet Union surprised the United States by lofting the first satellite into orbit. Today, the Defense Department said the U.S. is aware of China's work in this area and has uh, moved to uh, match the development. Our own pursuit of uh, hypersonic capabilities uh, is is real. It's tangible, and, and, and we are absolutely working uh, towards being able to develop that capability. We've been very clear about our concerns over uh, China's um, advancements in, in certain capabilities, a wide range of capabilities, capabilities that the secretary noted himself uh, 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 do very little to help uh, decrease tensions in the region and beyond. And they're paired with, these advanced military capabilities are, are paired with a foreign and defense policy approach that uses intimidation and coercion of neighboring nations to yield to China's interests. Uh, And so uh, taken in some, it reinforces for us the need to continue to treat the PRC as our number one pacing challenge. And the secretary is committed to doing that. And that is the Defense Department earlier today. Theodore Postal is Professor Emeritus of Science, Technology and National Security Policy at MIT. He told WBAI today that the potential of hypersonic vehicles increasing the threat to the United States is essentially zero. There are different kinds of weapons that travel at high speed, but in this particular context, a hypersonic weapon is launched by a ballistic missile, which is basically an intercontinental range ballistic missile or or near intercontinental range. And you hurl the uh, hypersonic vehicle. Now, what happens in that situation, it's designed to skip off the atmosphere, much like a rock skips off the water when you throw a rock at very high speed, very close to parallel to the water. It can skip off and then drop back onto the surface of the water and skip again and so on. If the vehicle skips back into the atmosphere, we can see, but we only can see it when it skips back into the atmosphere. We can't see where it's going. What is the threat posed by the Chinese military? The Chinese are modernizing at a fantastic rate. And if you look at their science, it's not science fiction. The Chinese uh, will be able to challenge us in many ways. My own personal view, they want to be respected as a major power, and they don't want the United States infringing on them and kicking them around. I'm not saying they don't have their own agenda. I'm not saying that 
these issues that are rising up about Taiwan's independence are not important and shouldn't be, we shouldn't push back on that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the general attitude among uh, the Chinese is that we are a great nation now and we deserve to be respected. So think for yourself, just imagine for your audience, what the United States does when some rusting old bucket of an intelligence ship that's 50 years old uh, uh, transits to Russia from Cuba. We have aircraft flying all over it. It's in the news. It's like a big threat, you know, this piece of floating garbage. Part of that is, you know, who are they to operate off our coast is the attitude. Well, now think about an aircraft carrier battle group operating off the United States that's not ours and how the average American would feel about it. And the Chinese don't like it. That's what we do, and the Chinese don't like it. And basically, they there's no question I, in my mind that they are hell-bent on building, building a military that can make it a very unpleasant and dangerous experience for us to do that. I just look at them and I say, look, I, I'm not advocating for them or against them, but I find it very understandable that a great nation would want to be able to govern its the borders close to it, you know, and, and, and that's what we're seeing. Now that we do have some big differences with the Chinese and, you know, like we, they shouldn't be pushing around countries on their borders like Vietnam. But uh, on the other side, these are diplomatic questions. If we don't bother them, I do not believe they will bother us, but we insist on bothering them there's a danger of something happening, something happening and getting out of control. I don't dismiss the Chinese, but I think portraying them as this aggressor that's looking for a fight, they're looking for a fight if you're in their backyard. Right. You go into your neighbor's backyard, your neighbor may be looking for a fight. It's not like the uh, the British waking up one day and seeing you know, a million soldiers of the Kaiser's army like across the English Channel overnight. It's not going right, to be like that. Right. It's right. not going to be close to that. It is going to be a big military adversary, and unless we figure out a way to uh, treat them less aggressively, because I think we, you know, there are trade, I don't want to sound like an apologist with these guys. I think there are big trade issues that we need to resolve with the Chinese. There, uh, there are big issues of where their sovereignty ends or their, or their claims to influence should you know reasonably be expected to be limited uh, those are big issues and uh and and we should be working on that uh, through diplomacy but the idea that we can trample through any way uh, anywhere we want when they see it as their backyard you're looking for trouble because they're not going to let it continue All and right, it's uh, going to get worse as we continue pushing at that and that is MIT Professor Emeritus, Theodore Postal, he's, uh, he's speaking about hypersonic vehicles. He says they are almost certainly an activity aimed at getting the attention of other countries by demonstrating technological prowess, as they'll have little or no meaning in terms of adding significant nuclear strike capabilities.
And President Joe Biden declared today he has reached a historic framework with Democrats in Congress on his sweeping domestic policy package. But he was still struggling for critical final support from skeptical colleagues for the hard fought and dramatically scaled back bill. Eager to have a deal in hand before this afternoon departure for global summits, Biden made his case privately on Capitol Hill to House Democrats and publicly in a speech at the White House. He's now pressing for a still robust package, $1.75 trillion, quite a bit less, though, than the $3.5 trillion, which was truly considered transformative by Democratic progressives. Uh, but the social services and climate change programs are needed, and the White House uh, believes it can pass this package, $1.75 trillion, through the 50-50 tied Senate. He departed – the president departed for Europe with Democrats closer to a deal, but battles remained as they pressed to finish up the final draft in the days and weeks ahead. Meanwhile, in London, Julia Assange's uh, partner, Stella Morris, highlighted the importance of the arguments of Julian Assange's lawyers in the London Royal Courts as they aim to present counterarguments amid a hearing on the U.S. appeal of the court's previous decision not to extradite him uh, that is taking place today in London. On January 4th, Judge Vanessa Barrister ruled Assange should not be extradited, saying there's a great risk that he would commit suicide in a U.S. prison. As WikiLeaks founder, Assange faces criminal charges for publishing classified information. He was arrested by British police on April 11, 2019, after taking refuge at the Ecuadorian embassy for nearly seven years, where he was granted asylum. Julian's father, Richard Assange, spoke from the courthouse. Seriously, the great contribution of the English-speaking people was to erect a shield of law between the people and the state, or the people and the sovereign, at uh, Magna Carta, 800 years ago, 1200. This shield, which protects us, is crushed under an avalanche of misdeeds in the case of Julian Assange and his persecution and prosecution. and. And that's Julian's father, Richard Assange. Rebecca Miles watched the proceedings video via video link and files this report. The U.S. is seeking to overturn a lower court decision in January not to extradite the imprisoned WikiLeaks publisher on the ground that he's at risk of suicide if he faced time isolated in an American prison. A prosecutor for the U.S. set out on day one to convince that the two court high justices to reject the ruling, arguing that Assange is not seriously mentally ill and would not be placed in solitary confinement should he be sent to the U.S. Assange's lawyers sought to dismiss American assurances to Britain that Assange would not be put under special administration measures, or SAMs, Assange's lawyer, Mark Summers, told the court that before the United States tried to legally extradite him from Britain, it discussed concrete plans to extradite Assange from Britain by kidnapping him and rendering him to the United States, pointing out that it would be the Central Intelligence Agency, Chief Justice Ian Barnett, one of the two high court judges, interjected, it's not contested that the CIA is intensely interested in Mr. Assange. 
James Lewis, the prosecutor for the U.S., said nothing about this in his 30-minute rebuttal. Lewis spent most of that time defending the assurances the U.S. had given Britain that Assange would not face harsh conditions in a U.S. prison. Wrapping up the hearing, Chief Justice Burnett told the lawyers... You have given us much to think about and will take time to consider it. He didn't give a date when the High Court's decision will be made. I'm Rebecca Miles, WBAI News, New York. And that was uh, John Shipton, Julian Assange's father. I uh, believe I mentioned his brother in that piece, Richard Assange. And thanks, Rebecca. The family of Eric Garner is asking for another chance at uh, calling high-ranking city officials, including Mayor Bill de Blasio and New York Police Department police commissioners, in light of testimony this week in the ongoing judicial inquiry into Eric Garner's fatal 2014 arrest. Garner's family and other advocates sued in 2019 seeking the unusual legal proceedings, a judicial inquiry, which began on Monday. They say that testimony from NYPD Deputy Commissioner of Internal Affairs Joseph Resnick on Tuesday left many questions unanswered about disciplinary and prosecutorial decisions surrounding Garner's death that now require testimony from other top officials. Lloyd Cologne is with the Justice Committee. Uh, when EMTs finally arrived, Officer Ramos ran over to the EMTs and told them that Eric may be playing possum. Playing possum means that Officer Ramos told the EMTs that Eric Gardner may be faking his need for medical attention. NYPD officer Ferlani also testified that all the NYPD officers were on top of Eric when he heard Eric say he couldn't breathe. But Officer Ferlani chose to ignore Eric, because all he cared about was getting Eric handcuffed, not whether or not Eric could breathe. We also heard Officer Ferlani testify that Lieutenant Bannon told him he saw a group of people that might be selling cigarettes. Might. Let's be clear. This is the moment that Lieutenant Bannon racially profiled, criminalized Black men, that Lieutenant Bannon himself said were not committing a crime. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Bannon's racism put the events in motion that resulted in Eric Gardner's death. And uh, Resnick, that was Lloyd Cologne with the Justice Committee. Resnick testified that while the Internal Affairs Bureau did investigate, it didn't have the final say on whether to bring charges against cops involved in the deadly chokehold arrest of Garner on Staten Island on July 17th, 2014. Ju Han Kang is with Communities United for Police Reform. She's ta- she says it's time for Mayor de Blasio and others to testify. So this motion to reconsider is really to make sure that there are witnesses who are called, who include top city officials, who not only can speak to discipline, but who have the authority and the power and the responsibility to basically expand the scope of investigations and demand that other officers be fired and disciplined. That includes people like Mayor de Blasio. It includes the three police commissioners who have presided since the seven plus years since Eric was murdered. That's Commissioner uh, Bratton, that's Commissioner O'Neill, that's currently Commissioner Shea. It includes others in the NYPD hierarchy who are higher than anybody else uh, currently on the witness list. As part of the motion to uh, reconsider, um, 
We are thankful to have affidavits from Maya Wiley, who is a civil rights attorney and the former counsel to the mayor, as well as formerly the chair of the Civilian Complaint Review Board. We also have an affidavit from Queensborough President Donovan Richards, who used to be a city council person who was the chair of the Public Safety Committee. And that's Ju Hoon Kang with the uh, Communities United for Police Reform. During his daily press briefing today, uh, Mayor de Blasio said he would defer comments to the city law department. He said the inquiry was everyone understood about the events of the day and those who were present at the site that day. But I'll defer any other details and questions to the law department. A law department spokesperson then said there is no basis for the court to revisit its earlier decision. Garner's family and advocates have sought answers on why it took five years for the departmental trial of since-fired cop Daniel Pantaleo to take place. Pantaleo put Garner in a chokehold as Garner cried out, I can't breathe triggering a fatal asthma attack. Eric's mother, Gwen Carr, says apologies from the cops aren't enough. It's so offensive and inappropriate for the officers in Redmond to offer their empty condolences after seven years, which they could have did this at any time. But the judge allows them to make closing statements and say anything that they want. And they are the ones that helped kill my son and covered it up. I don't need bogus account. I don't need bogus condolences. I need accountability. And Carr goes on to say that uh, she won't stop until there is that accountability from the NYPD. And we need other officials to take the stand because we're not getting true transparency with the witnesses that that are taking the stand. We need top officials who were there from the beginning. We need Mayor de Blasio. We need the commissioners who were involved in, um, to, in knowing about uh, the appropriate uh, discipline that should have been been done with these officers. These officers should have been suspended from day one, and they were not. And now here I am still fighting for accountability seven plus years later. And that is Gwen Carr talking about the seven years she has been trying to get justice and accountability in the death of her son, Eric Garner. And we'll be following that hearing as it goes on for uh, every day, pretty much every weekday for several weeks until um, there is going to be quite a the it's interesting, the judicial inquiry is something that's uh, it's sort of buried in the city charter. It's called Section 1109. It's only been used very few times in 135 years. According to one report, it's only been used 13 times. And most of the time it was uh, the courts ruled against it and it never occurred. Uh, so uh, the last time there actually was a judicial hearing, according to the lawyers in this case, was about 100 years ago. And so far, after a spate of incidents involving students bringing guns into school buildings, New York City will deploy additional metal detectors to campuses and send extra police personnel during arrival and dismissal. That was the statement yesterday uh, we recovered here on WBAI by Mayor Bill de Blasio. Uh, the mayor's decision 
that was actually on Monday. The mayor's decision to deploy more law enforcement resources to schools comes as the number of guns found in school buildings has ticked up this school year compared with the two years before the pandemic, leading some parents and advocates to pressure the mayor to take action. There have been about eight guns, according to reports discovered in the last year. De Blasio spoke about the problem today during his press briefing. Something that I don't like one bit. We're seeing it around New York City. We're seeing it around the country. Uh, again, and I've said it a lot of times, I'm going to say it again. It is a national phenomenon. It's very troubling. Uh, COVID unleashed a lot of things. We saw a lot of what was normal in our society suspended. We saw a lot of young people turn to uh, guns. Uh, this is a very troubling reality that we have to fix. We went through massive horrifying dislocation in 2020, and we have been rebuilding and recovering ever since. Every gun arrest sends a message that if you carry a gun, you're eventually going to be found and there's going to be real consequences. We need the court system back. I'll say it again. This is where we have a lack of consequences that is really hurting us, that we do not have a functioning court system. How are they not functioning and why is there not an expose about that? Because it really is a disservice. And that's Mayor de Blasio. The recent spate of guns found in schools follow other incidents around the country, including in Newark, where a loaded gun was brought into school, and in Philadelphia, where a student shot himself in the leg inside a school building. The school building in Philadelphia used metal detectors, so it wasn't clear how the gun got inside. In New York, there are currently 3,200 school safety agents. NYPD Chief of Department Rodney Harrison told reporters that's down from a high of about 5,000 in prior years. About 8% of the safety agents have not been vaccinated and are ineligible to work during the city's vaccination mandate for all school staff. Officials are preparing for an incoming class of 250 agents at the end of November. Harrison said a smaller number than initially planned. Gregory Floyd is the longtime school safety officers union president. He knows New York City in and out and is a strong advocate for his uh, workers. He had this to say uh, during an interview the other day. Happened the last three weeks, four weeks since school is open. We have chaos. Who did the mayor call in this week to help out the school safety agents? The police department. He didn't call social workers. He didn't call advocates. He didn't call the, the, anybody else. He called for the New York City Police Department to assist the school safety agents. So it's proven that the school safety agent should remain in the NYPD. They do the threat assessment. They work very well. They had a formula. And that was working until those who did not understand what was going on got involved and caused this chaos. Look, 27 years I'm around in the city government. I know a lot of things, and I knew the mayor folded on this issue with the city council, and he essentially admitted it. He did not have to go along with the city council, but what he did was push it back six months to he left, and now he says it's somebody else's problem. I do have a 30-year relationship with Eric Adams. I did not ask him about this question. He's a former New York City police member. Mm. He knows the issue. He knows school safety very well, so he's well-versed as does his opponent, Curtis Sliwa. Department of Education is notorious and continues to hide crimes in the schools, and they would advocate the security. There was a sexual assault that occurred October 12th in Queens Vocational Technical High School. You're hearing it first from me right now. Those are some of the incidents that the 
Department of Education will hide. They continue to hide and they will hide. And they do not have the expertise in security. When the chips were down this week, who did the mayor look for? He looked for the New York City Police Department. Gregory Floyd is a longtime school safety officers union head and the head of the New York City Firefighters Union said today that he had told unvaccinated members to report for duty regardless of an order by Mayor Bill de Blasio to place them on unpaid leave if they fail to get the COVID-19 shot. New York City firefighters have risked their own health to save lives during the coronavirus pandemic felt insulted by de Blasio's order to get the shot or face suspension. That's according to Andrew Ansbro, president of the Uniform Firefighters Association. He says, I told my members that if they choose to remain unvaccinated, they must still report for duty. If they are told they cannot work, it will be the department and the city of New York that sends them home. And it will be the department and the city of New York that has failed to protect the citizens of New York. Last week, de Blasio gave some 50,000 employees of New York City a deadline of 5 p.m. tomorrow to submit proof of vaccination against COVID-19. Those who fail to show proof could be sent home without pay. Today, de Blasio said the city is ready. Working to prepare uh, the department, Commissioner Nigro and his whole team, I think, are very able to put contingencies in place as needed. They've already talked about the fact that they have a variety of tools available, uh, mandatory overtime, scheduling changes. There's other options they can turn to to address the situation. So I am certain and I'm listening to Commissioner Nigro, who's been literally given his entire life to the people of New York City, that we will be ready. If folks show up who are not vaccinated, their supervisors will address that as with every agency. And it means, of course, they're not getting paid at that point. The solution is just go get vaccinated. But that will be handled on a managerial level. Mayor de Blasio, police and firefighters joined thousands of protesters against the mandate to march across the Brooklyn Bridge earlier this week to demonstrate their opposition to the move. A New York state judge today denied a police union request to temporarily block the mandate. And that's some of the news for Thursday, October 28th, 2021. The news was produced by Linda Perry, our engineer's Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. from WBAI's Premiums Department. As you may know, WBAI now has a new phone number to call to make donations or to pledge for premiums at 212-209-2950. Thank you for being a WBAI member and for making a contribution to keep the station afloat. But if you have a question about a premium, please do not call that number. 